Welcome to Lyme Time. I'm Allie from the Tick Chicks. We are all more than Lyme disease and chronic illness, and together we stand with you to overcome and rise. I'll bring you closer to the experts in cutting-edge treatments and even a few unexpected ways of healing. I'll ask the questions you want answers to regarding Lyme disease and successful ways of getting you closer to 100%. We are in this together and will not be defined by Lyme. Today on Lime Time, my guest is Kenzie Vath, and I'm so excited to have her on board to talk about her work with Global Lime Alliance and also all of the different things that she has done with her journey of Lyme disease and turned it into a gift and a passion and a movement uh, on a personal level for her and how she's changing the world. She's a Lyme warrior and uh, she is out to radically change the conversation about Lyme disease. She's born and raised in Southern California and she loved playing outside and soaking in the California sun. So Kinsey is a very dynamic individual with a passion for a full plate. Her current career has led her to a VP position in hospitality. But on the side, she sits on several boards, including the Global Lyme Alliance. Her mission with the ignored pandemic was to set out and get the public talking about Lyme disease, pushing awareness and funding toward research and answers for those suffering in silence. And Kenzie says, I want to ensure my children and their children do not have to go through the suffering I did. She has um, been very, very helpful in the um, fight against Lyme disease with children. She has also written a book uh, of real stories of different people called The Ignored Pandemic. And she is the founder and creator on Holistic Umbrella, which is fascinating. I love following along with her lifestyle and, and Lyme disease posts. And, you know, she really just has dedicated her life to Lyme disease. And now she is on the board of directors for Global Lyme Alliance and um, they uh, have a lot of things on the on their plate right now, and I'm excited to learn more about that. So welcome, Kenzie. Thank you, Allie. That was beautiful. What an <laughs> intro. <laughs> well, you've done a lot of things, and I'm sure I hadn't even touched on the surface, but, but ta- let's talk first about Global Lyme Alliance. And for those of you who are just new to Lyme disease or new to this um, to doing research of your own. And that's how I found Global Lyme Alliance is because of, of course, I was Googling like crazy in the beginning. It's located at globallimealliance.org. And can you just tell us a little bit about the organization, Kenzie? Yes, of course. Um, you know, it's funny. I Obviously, the Global Lyme Alliance organization is mainly based on the East Coast where Lyme is, um, you know, heavy heavily diagnosed and um, um, it's very concentrated in the area in the U.S. Um, However, there are organizations here on the West Coast where I'm based in Orange County, as you mentioned, in California. But the reason I was so drawn to the Global Lyme Alliance and why I continued to be part of the organization and now on the board um, was because we're funding research to make big changes for the community of Lyme warriors. And the research is super urgent, um, not only for treatment options, um, but also for diagnostics, because much of, of those in the Lyme space know that Lyme treatments are very hard to get covered by insurance, and they're very costly, especially the ones that work. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's something we, I really have a passion for. I really want to go after um the research and get responses and answers to the Lyme community so that we can really progress and make a difference in that space. So we do focus a lot on awareness. Obviously, all of the organizations in the Lyme space are doing the right thing by focusing on awareness. Um, We provide resources for people um, looking for support and help. We have a mentorship program that's amazing. We're continuing to build that out as well. Um, and provide, you know, even resources to the caregivers that that's a full-time job, right? You have, um, you know, a loved one who's recently diagnosed with Lyme or been struggling for years, 
And you basically don't have, you know, the ability to take care of yourself when you're that sick. So the caregivers are looking for resources. And I love that we, we have resources for them, right? So, but our main funding focus is research. Um, we, we put funding into a handful of different uh, research outlets. Uh, we have some exciting, um, you know, new information in the market about Lyme disease and some new treatment options that will be coming out. Um, you know, there's companies that are working on a vaccine, um, even trying to eradicate on the ground level of where Lyme is, is really needs to be addressed in the animals as well. Um, so I'm really excited to see in the next couple of years what that means for us um, that are fighting the war against, you know, this really invisible illness um, that many of us can't explain to people unless they're aware of what Lyme disease is. So that's what makes GLA very different and why I personally pursued them um, and to get involved. Oh my gosh. And your involvement was, was recently really celebrated at the GLA gala. And that just happened what a month ago, I think in, in October of 2023. And you were able to raise that evening, $1.6 million toward innovative research for a tick-borne illness. Tell me how it felt being up there, uh, being honored. Um, it was an honor. Like I, I don't even, I couldn't even explain. I was so excited. I had the butterflies, but I was like, really, uh, I felt blessed to be there and to really share my story. I didn't open up about my story till more recent and in, in the last few years, um, because I really was focused on not only my career and I didn't want that to stop from like being able to build my career of, of having this, you know, secret illness that I have to deal with every day. I didn't really want that to be known. I was hiding it from many people. Um, but when you get celebrated to, to share, you know, your history and like, and people are moved by that, that was, that was new to me. That was definitely new to me. Um, and it's not a, a beautiful history. You know, it's a dark one when you're dealing with Lyme. Um, it was really hard for me. It was the worst years of my life. So to, to be open and vulnerable about that was scary, but I can't even tell you how overwhelming and all the love and support. Um, I'm also super blessed because I have, I've been able to, you know, overcome the majority of my debilitating symptoms. So I'm on the other tail end of just maintaining. And so with those blessings, I feel that if I'm just given a little bit of the energy back, I want to put it back into making you know, making progress and getting answers for those still suffering. Um, so I feel called to do that. And that's why I've donated time and dollars to the organization. Um, so in a long story short, I felt completely honored. Honestly, the highlight was just getting to show off my kids. Um, that was a huge part of my battle was um, the story that I was never going to have children. And so I accepted that in my life. And now I have three beautiful kids. Um, that have completely changed my life and give me a purpose to fight, you know, uh, not only for my own, you know, my own health and being there for them and watching them, you know, raise, get, you know, grow up. It's crazy how fast these little guys grow up so fast. So be there for them, but also want to do something for their kids. And so I want to be that example. And I have a huge passion for the Lyme space. So it was such a blessing to be there in front of all those people sharing my story vulnerably and getting just only the kind comments back. And I hope that only I can continue to do great work for the organization and for Lyme Warriors across the world, because we are the global Lyme Alliance. So I really want this to be a global call. And I feel that my energy coming in on the board is a fresh one and a new one and a perspective that GLA is needed for a long time. So I'm super excited to have that influence. I just want to say a little bit about GLA also. I am a huge fan of GLA. I feel like it's one of the, it is the top, in my opinion, the top comprehensive website to go to, to get all kinds of, you know, new articles. What's the latest in research? What, what What's being done? You know, a lot of people sit at home and they're sick and they're sort of like, why is anybody doing anything, you know, because you're so encapsulated in your own four walls. And so it really, every time I hop on that website, I'm, I'm energized. I feel like somebody's doing something. I feel like there's, 
you know, lots of grants going out to people that desperately need it. I also feel as though people, you, you, they'll often ask me, you know, do you know of any great doctors in, you know, Kentucky or something like that? And yeah. I, and I always refer to Global Lyme Alliance because I feel like they have a great resource um, area there for finding doctors and just, I don't know, it just seems really up to date. And, and I loved getting the latest information for that from them. So I want to pivot a little bit and I want to go into your own personal story because um, you have just such a beautiful success story on many levels, but I know it wasn't always easy. So can you talk a, a little bit about you know, how your journey looked and where it began and, and sort of where you are today. Sure. So I was, I started showing symptoms around the age of nine or 10, um, is kind of what we pinpointed when kind of my life changed dramatically. Um, you know, I was a traditional student in school, a Leo, very outgoing, always performing in front of people, talking to people, made friends with a tree kind of person. And then, um, one day, you know, things changed. I I got a bad cold or something. You know, I was sick. My mom remembers me always being sick and then continuing to get sick. Um, and my personality completely flipped inverted. I didn't want to be around people. I started having anxiety, um, depression, sleeping all the time. And I was pretty young to start having these symptoms. Um, but, you know, I, I pushed through a majority of it. Um you know, the biggest things that my my parents started noticing and they were concerned about was my concentration in school. So I wasn't absorbing the information. I wasn't progressing like the other classmates. You know, I really, for a better part of my life, felt like I wasn't very intelligent. Um, you know, I wasn't reading that fast. I was started getting nervous about reading out loud because I was skipping words or seeing things like backwards or I didn't even know what I was trying, you know, what what I was reading. Um, so it was really uncomfortable, um, for me to be at school. So I started doing some, you know, learning education programs online and not going to school as much and having to do all these like, you know, special, um, development classes, but it really wasn't changing the way I was learning. It was very interesting. And then I would go to school and pick up an ear infection, go to school and pick up the flu, go to school and pick up another cold. And I was just a Petri dish for issues. So, uh, you know, fast forward a few years and I'm in high school and a lot of um, my joints started hurting because I was a competitive dancer and the doctors kept saying, oh, you know, she's just, she's a dancer, she's busy or she's using her body, you know, too much or, you know, she's a slow down or takes a Advil or my favorite, which I can't ever get over. I don't know why, but I have to share this in my story is you know, I was, I was complaining about my joint pain, but I was also so anxious and depressed, like, because I was in pain, like chronic pain all the time. And they, um, I had a doctor say, oh, she's just a dramatic teenager. She's a girl. She's a teenager. And I, that pushed me over the edge. I just wanted to slap that person and be like, are you kidding me? I would never wish this upon anyone. I don't want this in my life. This isn't who I was. Like, my mom knew too. She was just like my, you know, my sweet girl changed like overnight. And I don't know who she is and what's happened to her, but she's not the same person. Um, so it was years I battled, 10 years I battled with progressive symptoms to a point where I couldn't get out of bed. I had debilitating um, anxiety. I would never get on a plane. I wouldn't get on an, in an elevator. Um, you know, I would have food allergies that, you know, snuck up. I would have body rashes that would break out, you know, every diagnosed with, you know, everything under the sun, many hormone issues. Cause we kept trying to deal with, you know, the mental, the mental issues first than dealing with the physical, but they were all interrelated. Um, so one night we went to an event um, that I never go to my parents, um, you know, are involved in this organization. And that night, Dino, Dr. Dino Pratt, who runs Envita Medical Clinic came and he shared a little bit about what they're doing at Envita and a little bit about Lyme disease. They were doing some cancer treatment at the time as well. I think they still do today. And that was the first time I've ever heard of Lyme disease, obviously being in Southern California, it's not something that just pops up. And now I hear it like, scripts. It, it's funny. Like I hear it 
in comedian like scripts and like on TV. And I'm like, wait, 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 that did not exist like <laughs> 10 years ago. So yeah. So 10 years later, we find, we figure out what Lyme disease is. We go up to Dino. I I fly to Invita. I get tested. And he's like, oh yeah, like you are. I knew my mom and I immediately knew it was like, he read our minds of what I was dealing with. So my mom and I packed everything up. We moved to Arizona for three months, went through in intensive treatments. Um, it was some of the roughest years again of my life. Um, and I, and it didn't really, you know, it helped in certain areas and then it didn't help in others. Right. At the time there wasn't really a good treatment for Lyme. It was a lot of, um, this is like 2009, right? So this is a while back. Um, a lot of trial and error, a lot of this helps the immune system, but it doesn't really kill Lyme. Like we're trying to figure out how to support. And I think there is some of that still going on today. I think a majority of Lyme patients are still struggling trying to find an answer for treatment because some things work and some don't. And that's why I think the research again um, is so important because we can, you can dump money into trying to kill the, you know, kill Lyme, the spirochete with antibiotic, but the antibiotic is also killing a lot of good things in your body you need to fight Lyme. So we're trying to find better options to do that, better options to eradicate Lyme in the body and really cure it. Um, Cause chronic Lyme is something that's really hard to cure. Um, so we came back from Invita still went through other types of treatment, found some local doctors, traveled to some other places, kept trying different treatments. So it wasn't, I had no idea that when I got diagnosed with Lyme, it would be another 10 year journey for treatments, trying to find what worked for me. Lots of IVs, you know, lots of off the markets, lots of homeopathic supplements, bath, bathtubs full of supplements, everything, you name it, I did it. Um, some things worked, some things didn't, but I can tell you that my experience at bare minimum makes me appreciate those that suffer, you know, with chronic illness. Cause I did for years and I, you know, I just think about those out there that didn't even have, don't have, don't have access to these treatments. They're not cheap. And majority of them you pay out of pocket and, um, and you don't know if they're going to work. So it's just a hit and miss. And that breaks my heart. And that's what I really want to work towards. So that's a little bit about my story. I now am in a much, much better place. I would say very high functioning for chronic illness. Yes, I have to pick and choose what I eat, and what I drink and how much I like. I have to get good sleep. I have a very strict like routine and habit. And I know if like certain times, like if I go on a trip, a long trip, or if I, you know, eat or I stay up late, like I know it's going to be a day or two to recover. Because my body isn't just, it's, you know, it's not a typical 30-something-year-old. You know, I, I have to be a little bit more mindful about what I can and can't do. It has limits, so to speak. Mm -hmm. But um, in terms of my focus, my, my focus is my kids, my work, and my my purpose to, to give back to the Lyme community and share my story so that if people are looking for resources or just knowing that they're not alone in this, you know, and there is light at the tunnel. I really want to be a beacon of hope because I can't tell you how many, for 10 years, I was trying to find people to relate to. And when I did, it was all sad. Like it wasn't stories like I wanted to hear. I was like more depressed thinking like, is this going to be me in a bed for the rest of my life? Because if it is, what's the point? What's the point of living? I got there. I was there. Like I share that in my book. Um, but, but we'll, I know you're going to ask me a little bit about that later. So we'll, we'll yeah. circle on that, but yes, that's, that was a little bit of my story. I can really relate to it because I'm also Southern California and I was going from doctor, doctor, specialist, specialist, and nobody bothered to ask me, you know, where I had been vacationing. Um, you, you know, they're just sort of like kept trying to treat a specific thing, like on my body in a certain area that may have been giving me uh, frustration, but they weren't looking at the whole picture. And I think that's a real, and that's part of why I do what I do too, because I was, I was going to the best doctors in Los Angeles yeah, and going for six, seven years with no answers. 
Meanwhile, my body was just going down this rapid uh, decrease, this just like slide into nowhere and darkness. So, so it's just so frustrating when you have all the great hospitals surrounding you and nobody still knows what's going on. Um, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about, uh, do you know where you got Lyme disease? I still don't. Okay. But we have, we, have um, we, me and my mom, we have our suspicion. Um, my, uh, my father's actually from Michigan. So we would travel here and there back to Michigan. But I've been an outdoor kid since the day I was born. Like I wasn't like a sit at the TV and watch TV. I was always outside, always barefoot, you know, running around being crazy. So it's really hard to pinpoint. But back to the Michigan thing, there was one trip that we took to Michigan and my mother remembers um, a bug bite and she thought it was a bee sting. And so she, obviously she's from Southern California. She didn't know anything about Lyme disease. And she's like, oh, you're allergic to bees. Like we can't have you around bees. So like the majority of my life, like I'm fearing bees. I'm like, no, I'm going to like, you know, I don't know. Like I need to know. And it probably had nothing to do with the bees, right? At the end of the day. I don't think it did because I've been stung by a bee and never had a problem since. So um, I don't know if that was it. I don't know if maybe it was something else. Um, I, you know, I used, we used to go camping as kids. I mean, I'm just an outdoor kid. I would, you know, I'd be climbing trees. I didn't even think anything about it. And I would have long hair too. So like it would, I, I, my, I never got tick checks or bug checks and my mom wouldn't have known what that was like, bless her heart. She just didn't, she grew up and, you know, the beach. Um, but what's fascinating about that. I share that because I traveled a lot, probably like you as well. So the likelihood of me getting it out of state was probably more like higher just because there's more ticks in the rural areas. I grew up in not, you know, not so rural, but, um, I have friends that live, you know, in Southern California and they send me pictures of bugs and they're like, what is, is this, is this a tick? Like, is this a tick? Cause they're so hyper aware of it. Right. That I share my story. And one of them particularly lives in Newport beach and she found a tick in her house. So she lives by the beach, no woods around her in her house and she took a picture and it was got like, she's like, is this a tick? She freaked out. I was like, yes, that is a tick. And they're, they've been spotted on the beaches of Newport beach. And the majority of people out there are obviously in bikinis. So there you go. Ticks like welcome to, you know, they're welcome to the feeding zone. And yeah, they have been finding ticks increasingly on the beaches, particularly in Northern California, where on the beaches, you'll see lots of tall, tall grass. Um, yeah, it's, it's unfortunate because you could vacation somewhere or little kids could go to camp somewhere, obviously in the Midwest or on the East coast, and then come back to their home. And maybe the signs don't show up for another month or so. And then all of a sudden you're on the, and, and you have, you, you are just like completely forgetting about the fact that you, your kid was in camp yeah. and you're, you're thinking, okay, it looks like the flu. I mean, it's a whole, it's a whole <clears throat> situation. Talk to me about why you wanted to focus your energy on kids. Oh, um, my energy is really focused globally, but what drove me was when I had my own kids and I feared for their futures and, you know, um, watching kids sick is like, it's the hard, watching your kids sick is the hardest thing. Um, I, I mean, I just watch, watched my mom be my caretaker for the majority of my life. And every day, like she just looked broken inside that, like, she couldn't find an answer for me. And I just, I can't, I'm not as strong as her. Like, I can't go through that. Like she is so strong. Um, so I really want to focus on kids because I think what we know based on the research, they're a more vulnerable population. They have the time to be free and be outside and climb trees and roll in the grass down the hills. And, you know, we're normally not doing that, even though we probably should be doing that for our mental health, but the safety <laughs> are another thing, you know, we're too paranoid about ticks. Um, so I, I don't want to take away the outdoors for them. I, and I don't want to take, I don't want them to be afraid to travel and 
I don't want them to be afraid of these ticks and mosquitoes. And there's, you know, these vector borne illnesses that are really dangerous and aren't really being talked about, but mom knows about them. And so I, I want to do something about that. And that's why I think kids are just, it's a passion for me. Um, cause I want our kids to feel comfortable to roam outside. And I've heard too much that, you know, those that are suffering from Lyme, they never want to go outside again. It's like, they're in this bubble and trust me, like I've been there. Like I have PTSD if I'm like walking outside and I'm like, wait, what's that black speck on me? <laughs> like, it's yeah. but I don't want to be like that. We got to be like, we got to love our environment too. It's really, um, I, I honestly believe that's the last way to heal, heal Lyme disease or come into, into total health is to actually decompress from the trauma that you've had and the trauma response. And because when you have, when you have a chronic illness, it's years upon years upon years and layers upon layers of being more and more afraid. And so then once you become, you get control of your symptoms, I think that that's the last part of it for so many people is beginning to unwire your brain in that response. And it's very hard to do. It could take another couple of years to actually have your whole system start to begin to calm down. And I, I know what that's like. So I, I really admire your, your interest in kids. They are the most vulnerable and they actually carry, uh, they're our biggest population of Lyme disease um, cases in the US. I don't know about the world, but I assume the world as well. Can you please talk to, a little bit to us about the ignored pandemic? And this is a collection of, of real stories of Lyme disease and, and how that process was for you. Yes. So um, I am not an author by trade, but I do love to write and I love sharing stories. So I wrote two books prior and then this past year, it was just calling me that I had to do something in the Lyme space. I don't know how it just was calling and I didn't want to make it about myself. There's enough of those out there, you know, memoirs. And I didn't really want to make it too medical because I'm not a medical professional um, either. So I didn't think that that I was in the right market. But what I thought was missing in the Lyme literature community was um, a spectrum of stories from all over the world. Because you really only hear about, you know, Lyme stories like in the East Coast or you hear about this one person in, you know, this one place um, and mostly U.S. based because that's what our, our media is filtered towards a little bit of that. And we're, we're sharing more about it. Um, but I really wanted to show that this is a pandemic. This is a global issue. Ticks don't just live in one region. And Lyme disease specifically is um, an infectious disease. So it continues to spread, um, you know, through its host. And I started to reach out to people and I'm sure like looking back, the people that I DM, they're like, oh, wait, she was real. I think most of the people thought I was like fake because um, I didn't have like, you know, I, I I was somewhat fishing, I guess, for like, hey, would you be interested in sharing your story in a book? And they're like, how did you find me? And like, are you serious? So I interviewed people all over the world. I was very honored that GLA made a few introductions to, to some specific stories that I really wanted to capture um, everywhere from India to Germany to Canada, um, uh, Argentina. That was amazing. And it was interesting. I not only learned a little bit about their personal story, and it was additionally interesting how similar, different, obviously, but like similar veins of the same symptoms, but they live in a totally different part of the world and they've never left their homes. Like that was even more interesting because we travel us, like we travel a lot. The majority of like, you know, European nations are like, you know, they don't travel as like they do, but like, you know, it, it's, it's a little different. Right. So I was, I was so fascinated by this. I was like there, we need to do more research in this space. Australia was another one. And it, it was also scary to hear that a lot of these countries don't recognize Lyme disease. So when they go on their social media and they share about Lyme disease, no, everybody just ignores them and the government ignores them. And they usually get taken down or filtered off or they can't even talk about it in a public forum because 
their government doesn't even recognize it. And I'm thinking, what? Like, that's pretty, it exists. I mean, if you do Google it, like the CDC has like, Lyme disease does exist, but this Lyme disease exists, but the chronic piece of it is the harder part to diagnose. And because the diagnostics aren't strong, they're, they don't really believe in this chronic illness piece. I think COVID, unfortunately, I hate to even add this to the conversation, has changed the trajectory of this, you know, chronic illness um, story. And so it's interesting to see what's going to play out from that. But I, it broke my heart that they don't get recognition. And I wanted them to be recognized for, for their suffering and for their strength that they pushed through this illness and they got on with me. They shared very vulnerably. They shared, you know, what they do and, and what's helped. And, um, it's really inspiring. So yeah, the real, um, the ignored pandemic, real stories of Lyme disease is really a beautiful collection of stories from around the world of Lyme warriors that continue to push today. Some still suffering, some in a better place. And I was honored to be a facilitator to listen to them and interview them. What a great perspective and so helpful for a lot of people and also giving them a voice where they don't have a voice in in more remote parts of the world. And you're right. You know, we can often complain in the United States about the medical care and the medical acknowledgement of Lyme disease, certainly chronic Lyme disease. Canada has it a little bit better, but they're, they're constant. They don't even have the resources we do. They're catching up. And even though we're so far behind, like there are things that these organizations come out with today that you and I probably could have told them 10 or 15 years ago. And so everybody's like, oh, finally, finally, they're acknowledging this part of it or that part of it. But you're right, the people in other countries where it's not even acknowledged, um, there's just so much work to do globally. And so every little bit helps. And I really appreciate you sharing those stories along the way. I want to also talk a little bit about the holistic umbrella, which you are the creator creator of that. That's more of a social media uh, way to get in touch with you and see how, you know, it's lifestyle, it's wellness tips, it's about community. Um, and tell me a little bit about, a little bit about, um, your efforts there and what you're, what you're focusing on. Sure. So holistic umbrella is a funny thing. It started at inception of a, um, coaching business really. Um, after my struggle with Lyme disease, I ended up going to school, getting a bachelor's in holistic medicine. I studied everything from like traditional Chinese medicine, to Ayurvedic medicine, got yoga certified, then went to, you know, IIN did the whole, you know, um, health coaching thing. And this, again, was a little bit more when it wasn't super trendy. It was like right in the beginning of the wellness boom. Mm-hmm. And so I was doing um, wellness coaching specifically a lot with Lyme patients because they needed alternative care even after treatment that because they were still struggling with other you know symptoms. Um, and then I noticed I, I went back into the workforce, corporate workforce, and it was hard to maintain a coaching um, you know business. But I noticed I still wanted to be there to support the Lyme, the Limeys, so to speak, um, and share more about what's going on. And then when I got involved with GLA, it was the perfect opportunity to, you know, piggyback their efforts and say, okay, look, this is what's going on. Here's like the newest data. Here's the new research. This is what's coming. Um, as well as, you know, give tips and tricks of what was going on, what I, what things I was using as well to get me over the hump every day. And then um, now it's it's really about advocacy for the Lyme community and a place um, to share the stories in the book and promote that and promote awareness of Lyme disease um, and promote GLA and, you know, all the work in the Lyme space. I really also, one of my big initiatives um, on my platform is bringing all the Lyme communities together because it really is about we have to be one like unit to fight, to get more noise and to get change in politics and to get change in coverage. And the the need for the patient as well as the need for the answers is just, they're both equally important, but we have to do it together. And so I, I continue to reach out and try to make 
friendships with every, you know, lime, limey out there to really get on board and being part of the message and sharing each other's platforms. So I want to do that. I want to continue to do that. This is more about community for me than anything. And um, it's the best place to kind of follow me, you know, keep up with everything going on, what I got going on. I know people like some of my fun personal stuff too. I don't, I'm not super like keen to be hundred percent honest on social media. Like I don't know if I like it very much, but I know it's like essential, you know, to make change. So I said, okay, like I'll commit uh, into what sort I of the quickest way to reach a lot of people at with one effort, you know, know. I'm it's the same way too. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I have to have a balance though. Like I, I have to turn it off too and not be a consumer and then like, you know, participate and consume when it's necessary. But I think it's a great, I mean, it's, it's an amazing creative tool that's really made a big difference in this space. So I am on board and um, sharing as much as we can about uh, what new information and research we have going on um, and, you know, trying to get people to, to buy the book so we can continue to distribute these stories, you know, internationally. So let's talk a bit, let's go back a little bit about when you finally got your diagnosis and then you said it would be another yet 10 years of of beginning that, you know, we're all excited when we have a label and we can know what's going on within our body, but then you're right. It's another, it's another little road to go down once you find out what it is. So I'm sure that everybody listening to this podcast will be wondering how you are living your great life right now. And you're out of bed and you're functioning and you're high functioning. So Tell us a little bit about what you tried and what you feel like worked and maybe what didn't work, that kind of thing. Okay. So I want to like preface it with, I'm not a physician and every treatment is so different for every person, but I am more than happy to share some of the things that I've tried and what I, I think have been powerful for me personally. Um, but I, I, my two pieces of advice when it comes to treatment for people is one, ask the question if it makes sense for you. Like, can you afford it? Or do you, are you afraid of it? Or do you think it's going to help you? Like, listen to your intuition and ask that question to yourself. Does this make sense for me? If you feel like, yes, you believe in it, then try it. But if you're like, I don't know if there's that, that little instinct that says, I don't know if this is for me, I would say, just wait, wait till the next thing comes. Cause there's a lot out there. I will be completely honest. Um, and then secondly, you have to stick to something routine is key. So it can't be a one didn't work. It's done. Okay. So that was my second piece of advice with treatment. So, um, IV antibiotics, um, you know, I, I did them, I did tons of them. Um, they, they work at killing, but they also kill a lot of good things you need. They kill your gut, right? So then you're dealt with three years of a leaky gut and, and issues with allergies and, you know, bowel issues and all those things. So they are very hard on the body. And if you go down that road, you need to make sure you prepare to heal the body, you know, like prepare the body for this killing basically, um, and keep the good probiotics, the prebiotics, eat a really strict diet and then one of the things that really changed my life, because I basically didn't have an immune system after treatment, was um, fecal microbial transplant, FMT. It's not, it's huge. I, I honestly think this should be a mainstream treatment. I don't know, they, you know, it's, it's not accessible to many people. You have to either go to a different state, because in California, it's like illegal unless you have C. diff. Um, but it changed everything because I didn't have a digestive system after treatment and I was still dealing with other things, but without a digestive system, you really don't have like an immune system. So I was still very weak and that repopulated my immune, my digestive system, immune system, and helped me with a lot of the mental issues because the mental things were linked to my gut. A lot of the anxiety and depression was a dysbiosis and an imbalance of the bad bugs because the bad bugs, basically I was their host. So I, they took over. So FMT was huge for me and I recommend it really for anybody. Where did you go for FMT treatment? 
So the first one I did kind of like underground and it was great. And then I actually ended up going to um, a clinic in Utah. Um, and I'm trying to think of the name right now because it was another really dark time in my life. Um, but a great clinic in Utah. I don't know if she's doing it anymore. They also have some people, I think in LA area that are doing like the capsules. I don't think they're as strong. I think, um, the enema is much better. I, I think at least the delivery is much stronger. Um, but there, you can Google it and there's a lot of options in, in different States, um, or even outside the country. I did stem cells. Um, I did injections. Uh, I didn't do the IVs. It was helpful for certain smaller, very small joints like wrists, but it wasn't really helpful for like my knees. Like, so it was very particular based on that. It also took a long time to see results from that. Um, FMT was like results pretty quickly. Um, but then it, again, the key is then keeping up, like feeding the good bugs all the time. A really strict diet is very key for me too. So whenever I veer off my diet and I eat those inflammatory foods, let it be gluten, dairy, sugar, I mean, sugars and everything. But when I eat sugar, um, I feel it. I get inflamed. My gut tells me right away. Um, my skin tells me right away. My joints tell me like I can barely open my hands if I drink, you know, drink too much or consume too much sugar or, or gluten. And my mind tells me right away. So diet is huge. I also love the Dr. Rawls protocol. Um, you can get those online. They're all herbals. Um, you don't want to take herbals if you're on other medications. I, there is some, you know, counterintuitive reactions with those, but I think that was really helpful for immunity specific. Um, I, when I was taking those was probably the best time in my life. I didn't get sick. So I really loved those ones. Um, the last thing I would recommend, I did a hundred other things by the way, and, you know, Epsom salt baths are great, you know, morning walks, meditation, but everybody's giving those same tips and tools. So everybody knows like get your, your meditation app, go outside, you know, get some sun, vitamin D, all the essentials. Um, these are kind of more underground treatments. The last one I would say is a little more controversial, um, is ketamine treatment. And I do this for chronic pain. And I also do it for anxiety and depression. I had serious, as we were mentioning earlier on the chat, um, even when you get to a point where you can function, you have PTSD because you have chronic illness. And I had serious PTSD because I only functioned, you know, with a chronic illness for 20 years. I didn't know what it was like to go back in the world and, you know, um, run a meeting, be on Zoom, have a conversation, do anything. I was very like, antisocial and afraid to do anything. So I started doing ketamine for my pain and for my anxiety and depression. And that helped me tremendously. Um, it, it gets me about three to six months pain-free to be able to move about, get up out of bed. You know, I'm granted, I need to be careful with my body, but I, I mean, I can move, which is great. That was yeah. amazing. Yeah. I wouldn't get to bed. And you're and, able to tolerate the treatment itself. Wow. Yes. The so that was a tough one. The first couple treatments I didn't like. And by the way, some background, I was so conservative growing up. I never took a drug in my life. So I was terrified going into this. I had sweats. I was crying. I'm like, I don't want a drug. Like, what if I die? Like I was the paranoid person that thought I would take one drug and I die. Like I, you know, something was going to happen. I didn't even smoke a cigarette. So I'm, I guess, pretty, you know, boring. But when I did ketamine for the first time, it was a very weird feeling. Um, it's a it's a tranquilizer, essentially. So you can't feel your body much. Um, and that's nice when you're in chronic pain. But what really helped was the insight I got when I started. Like my third treatment was kind of the 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 sweet spot. When I got to my third treatment, I finally just could see, I know this sounds like trippy because it was trippy, but I could see like the bigger picture of like life and purpose and maybe why I was suffering. It wasn't an answer, but it was, okay, this is other people suffer too. You're not alone. You know, the world is all connected. There was this very acceptance in, in this treatment, this third treatment. I, I came out with acceptance of my suffering and that alone removed years of trauma 
because I couldn't tell you how many times I went to a counselor and I never walked out like that. I may have like regurgitated all my issues. And then I was like, okay, I feel really better. I feel a little better, but not really. Like I didn't feel like I understood, you know, and that got me to a place of insight to be able to understand my suffering and knowing how to move forward through suffering. It wasn't easy, but it was like retraining the way I think ketamine helped me to get to that retraining place. It kind of did a reset and it said, okay, now it's your turn to do the work and retrain the way you think about moving forward in life. And I think that is huge. Oh my gosh. Well, it's, it sounds like a lifesaver. I mean, for somebody with, with, you know, PTSD, yes, but also that, that depression that comes along with it and not trusting the world again. I mean, a lot of people, when they, when they come down with a chronic illness, they really don't know how to re-engage and yes. it's like it was a lifesaver for you. So was that something that you continue doing now uh, proactively? Yes, I do. I do it. I don't do it as often because it does take you out for about 24 hours. You got to like, you know, Uber, get someone to drive you and then have someone drive you home. And then I basically like sleep it off and then I feel better the next day, but a little drowsy, you know, um, I do it about once a year is like my goal. I try to go in once a year and then it's just kind of like my tune up, but the, the body they were explaining to me, and I've done a little research on this, but I think, you know, psychedelics is a whole interesting field that's kind of becoming more popular, but the body starts to remember this like sensation of clarity. And so when I take, when I start the treatment, the body already starts to relax and go into the same thinking process of like, you know, it's going to be okay. You're safe. Yeah. You're safe. It's okay. You're safe. Keep pushing through like all these thoughts that I needed to feed. They were in myself. I just wasn't, I didn't, I lost who I was. Like, I didn't know who Kenzie was anymore. Mm-hmm. I was identified as Lyme and like an illness and every doctor poked and prodded me. Like I was a human being, you know, the emotion and lacking in our healthcare system is scary alone. So that was the first time I felt like I found myself again and I could work through the suffering. Cause I still, you know, I still deal with pain and I still deal with these other things and life's not easy for anybody, by the way, but you know, it's, it's nice when at least you have purpose, you know, purpose. Oh, yeah, sure. It, even to just re reimagine your dreams. Yeah. Your dreams might look a lot different now than they did, you know, obviously before you started on this journey and, you know, when you were nine years old and coming down with these symptoms, you had a whole other vision of what your life was going to be like. And it was a very carefree existence. And I think that sometimes psychedelics and ketamine and those types of treatments, um, you know, they're not exactly going in and killing the Lyme bacteria, but they're giving you back. Uh, a lot of what you just discussed and, and handing you the tools again to say it's safe and you're going to be okay. And giving you that confidence and, and also just releasing so much of the insecurities, fears. I mean, just to be able to release that and get that off your shoulders. Yeah. Feel incredible. And I'm sure you hadn't felt those feelings of freedom and just being carefree in so, so long. So I think it's important. It's an important discussion to have. Not many people discuss it when they're talking about Lyme disease. Um, although, although there are a lot of followers out there who, who share about it, you know, just in their own personal lives, but it's very few. And I bet a lot of people can benefit from that. So, so you know, you're, you're doing all of these wonderful things and you're, you're basically getting better and better. And I, I do think that giving back in a way, when I started the Tick Chicks, I was not a hundred percent. And I remember, you know, uh, it was time to f- do a photo shoot and, you know, get some photos for the website and everything. And I got out of bed, did not wash my hair, <laughs> went down in my backyard, took some photos and then just, just began, you know, I just began. And I'm, I do think that there's something to be said about being actively, when you're talking about healing and health and your journey and helping others, and you're, you're constantly focused on the future and 
bettering yourself and looking at it from a healthful point of view and not from a health health you know deprived individual i do think that that also helps you a lot because it's it's a lot of mind over matter yes i 100% agree and i was just talking to um family member today and i said you need to wake up and stay busy and have a purpose and it's true, like even if it's hard, because it is hard for those that, you know, suffer in silence and some suffer physically, you know, but, um, it, you know, you got to keep going. You got to fight. If you don't fight, you won't make it through this illness. I like I know because I was there like I was right. I was giving up and, you know, I was just lucky to have the right people and, you know, God to keep me pushing forward. Um, but you do, you need to stay busy and you need to, you know, have a purpose. And sometimes the purpose is ourselves pushing ourselves to get healthy, right? Like we, we ignore that sometimes, especially as moms, um, you know, many moms are like, well, I'm the last person on the list to take a shower, you know, or get, you know, get ready. I get it. I get it. I am too. I get it. But if you need that one day where you take a bath, you know, Epsom salt bath, or you need to you know, keep up every morning on like your protein shakes and your, your supplements, you got to dedicate that time. You got to make it work. You got to fight for that. So, um, it's, it's all about trying to find that balance and just keep pushing forward. Well, you certainly have, I'm sure enlightened so many people today and also given them a, a little bit of purpose to their pain, you know, and you're, you're a great vision of what is possible in everyone's life. And so um, just let us know if you wouldn't mind where they can get in touch with you. Um, and perhaps just little things that you offer and uh, a little bit more about where they can find you. Sure. Yeah. The best place to find me is on my Instagram, holistic umbrella. Um, and you can please follow me. I have a LinkedIn tree there, uh, where I have all the access to like my books, my speech from GLA, my involvement in the Lyme space. I have some amazing conversations with some, you know, people in the science space that are going to be coming soon, um, and kind of releasing some exciting news about GLA and, and in our Lyme space. So please follow me on Holistic Umbrella, get the book, share the news, and let's, you know, come together as a community and make a difference in the Lyme space. Thank you again so much for your time. I look forward to another discussion with you soon. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you.